Now this is what happens when you only tell one side of a story about any group. As I said last week in my sermon, Christians have plenty of sins to rack up for ourselves historically and we need to own them and publicly uh, uh, repent for them and askew them. And yet, there are many good things that the Christian church has brought throughout history. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou So it's especially appropriate that we are beginning the month of October, the month when we commemorate the reform of the church, which is not just something historical, but an ongoing process, that we should begin with this passage from the prophet Habakkuk. Because this is the passage that Martin Luther was studying when the Holy Spirit grabbed him by the lapels and reminded him, of a truth that had been forgotten in the high medieval church, that we are saved by grace through faith that none may boast, that the righteous shall indeed, as the prophet says, live by faith. And Habakkuk needed this word, just as Luther did, just as we do. For for Habakkuk lived at a time when things were difficult for the people of God. Hear how his prophecy begins. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, that is, sin? And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. It was a challenging time to be part of the people of God. Obviously. But our own time is becoming more difficult for us to live as Christians here in the West. We are not seeing the violence that Habakkuk saw, but we are seeing increased difficulty. Here's what New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof describes as the anti-Christian sentiment overtaking U.S. culture shapers today. Here's what he writes. Today, among urban Americans and Europeans, evangelical Christian is sometimes a synonym for rube. In liberal circles, evangelicals constitute one of the few groups that it's safe to mock openly. University of North Texas sociology professor George Yancey um, did a really extensive uh, scientific measurement of people sociologically in 2015, and he released this groundbreaking report in which he used empirical sociological methods to measure what he calls Christianophobia in the United States. 
And here's a picture that he paints for us. This is a true story, but he considers it iconic of what's happening in the culture at large. This has happened in an American high school classroom. When the teacher of the class mentioned that Christians around the world were being killed for their faith, a number of students responded that this was good. That Christians deserved it because they have so frequently been oppressors and slave owners. To the teacher's amazement, some students approved of these murders. In their minds, it was time for Christians to face the same death that Christians had inflicted on others. What Yancey found was that even if they didn't advocate violence, an emerging and significant percentage of Christians in the United States felt that Christians deserved, uh, people in the United States believed that Christians deserved punishment for their past evils. Now this is what happens when you only tell one side of a story about any group. As I said last week in my sermon, Christians have plenty of sins to rack up for ourselves historically and we need to own them and publicly uh, uh, repent for them and askew them. And yet, there are many good things that the Christian church has brought throughout history. The very university system in which these teachers were educated is an invention of the Christian church. As is the idea that there are universal human rights. And all of those who were in the vanguard of the abolitionist movement were not the secular humanists of their day, but rather were confessing Christians who were motivated by their faith to see people in slavery set free. But when you only tell half of the story, of course, prejudice is what arises. More than half of all college professors in a recent survey harbor significant negative feelings toward Christians. In contrast to the fewer than 10% who hold similar negative feelings toward Islam, this less than 20 years after 9-11. A large percentage of those same professors also said they would actively discriminate against a Christian applying for a position in their department. So while we are not facing the violence that Habakkuk saw before him, maybe some of the injustices there, and while that prophet was waiting for the Lord to fulfill his word, while he was crying out for justice, and God was promising him that he would in fact fulfill his word at the appointed time, the prophet is told that the righteous shall live by his faith. That is, as though the word of God is true, even when we do not see it being fulfilled yet. And an emphasis on the yet. See, to live by our faith, what Luther's insight was, is this applied much more broadly than simply to justification by grace through faith. It's that rather than living in such a way that we're trying to earn our salvation, we are living from our faith. Living as though the Word of God is true. It is the beginning of our faith to know that we are declared righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And it's His righteousness applied to us. But that's not the end. We live as though the Word of God is true. More true than the current realities that surround us, no matter how grim they may seem. So how...
can Christians overcome what is an increasingly simple rank prejudice against us that's being cultivated in the highest echelons of our society, both the intellectual echelons in the university and the ubiquitous entertainment industry, and it is everywhere. The um, Scottish politician and philosopher Andrew Fletcher is quoted as saying, if a man were permitted to make all the ballads of a country, he need not care who should make the laws. Because our imaginations are formed by our art. He couldn't possibly have imagined when he said that about songs, the power that these little screens we carry around with us everywhere would have over us. How can Christians overcome that prejudice? Well, Jesus paints a picture for us in today's Gospel reading of how that might happen. Because, in fact, the Christian church has had to overcome even worse prejudice in the past. In the first century, Christians were accused of cannibalism. So people really didn't think much of us. <laughs> what overcame the prejudice of the Roman Empire eventually resulting in Christianity first becoming legal and then eventually becoming the official religion of the empire was the interaction of true and faithful local communities. Communities where sins repented of are truly forgiven and where a person's status within the community does not have to be earned because Jesus Christ has earned our place for us. That makes Christian community unlike any other kind of social interaction we human beings will have in our lives. In every other group, friend, business, politics, we have to earn our place. But at the table of Jesus Christ, our place has been earned for us. And so it's not a dog-eat-dog -dog world here within the boundaries of the church. A community that knows how to truly forgive because it has been forgiven is a kind of community not found elsewhere. Because each of us knows that we are guilty not just of the petty sins that fill our everyday lives, but of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is our sins that nailed Him to the cross. And so we are guilty of killing Him. And if we can be forgiven of not just murder, but deicide, the death of God, are we not obligated to forgive the sins of those who are our neighbors and sit in the pews around us? A community that is that loving, that welcoming, that forgiving, the power of a community like that to witness by its very life, quite apart from telling the story of Jesus, should not be underestimated. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield tells of her story in her memoirs of her journey from professor of queer theory to confessing and Christian writer. And um, after making that very hard journey, which took a number of years, she writes this. She says, in addition to appearing to be anti-intellectual, that was how she felt when she was an outsider to the community, Christians also scared me. Outside of the Lord, life is a very treacherous ordeal. Proverbs teaches this when its author Solomon writes, the way of the unfaithful is hard. Proverbs 13, 15. 
Of course, Christian life is hard too, but it's hard in another way. In a way that is at least bearable and purposeful. Christians can lay hold of the meaning and purpose and grace of suffering and truly believe that all things, even the evil ones, work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. That's Romans 8.28. A life outside of Christ is both hard and frightening. A life in Christ has hard edges and dark valleys, but it is purposeful even when painful. To be able to write those kind of deep, stirring words was a long journey for her. A journey of being with a beloved community that acted the way Jesus describes in our passage from the Gospels today. And she came to these realizations after first watching as an observer in that community, kind of like an anthropologist visiting a strange tribe, then participating in it as a guest, sitting at tables, singing songs with them, and only finally joining as a sister Christian when she saw people who were serious enough about their faith that they were living in the kind of community Jesus described, living by their faith. So this month, as we commemorate the reform of the church, which is an ongoing process, maybe a useful question for each of us to ask ourselves is, is my life different enough from my neighbors because I know Jesus is Lord? Am I truly living by my faith or is it simply something I believe? For the righteous shall live by faith. If there are areas of our lives where that's not true, Jesus does indeed forgive us, but He is calling us to something richer and deeper and ultimately more satisfying and joyful. When we live as the beloved community, and that's a phrase I picked up from a theologian I'm very fond of, when we live by faith, then we will be as impregnable as that mighty fortress that Luther described God as being in one of our beloved hymns. For we will be living our lives by Him and through Him and in Him. We will be living our lives by faith. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, indeed our sins are many throughout history and even ourselves personally, and we do repent of them, Lord. We ask you to help us do better than we have done. Make us better witnesses to your Son. Make us more and more like Him, ready to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. And Lord, help us especially to do this in the everyday interactions that make up life as a community. Help us to forgive from our hearts, to repent truly when we have wronged others, and to remember that all of our places here are not earned, but rather are given by you as a gift so that when we are done with all our labors, we can say as Jesus told us to say, 
that we are but unworthy servants and only did our duty, giving you the glory, for you are deserving and have purchased us at the cost of your own life. These things we do pray in your name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my life.